33 he has here. So Numbers chapter 33, we'll go ahead and read a few verses. We are going to read, uh, not, not right now, but we will be flipping other passages and reading a little lengthy portion of scripture here. And we're going to start in number 50, verse number 50. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their pitchers, and destroy all their molten images, and quiet pluck down all their high places. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein. For I have given you the land to possess it. And ye shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. And to the more ye shall give the more inheritance. And to the fewer ye shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth. According to the tribes of your fathers ye shall inherit. We're going to pray. And then we'll get into this passage here tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for another opportunity that we are able to be in your house. Uh, these people that are here, they're not here by accident. They're here because they got up, they determined to come here tonight and get something from you. We ask that uh, you would use this message that you've uh, prepared in my heart and uh, to speak to each and every one of us. May we hear from you tonight. Remove distractions from our mind that may uh, uh, cause us to lose focus on what you have for us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. The story that we're reading here, it does not start in this text right here. It starts all the way back with a man, a very, really an obscure man. His name was Abram. And God chose Abram. He told him to get out of your country and to go to a land that you're not familiar with. Leave your family. Leave everything that you have ever known. But I've got something very special for you. He told Abram to leave. And of course, he promised Abram, who he changed his name to Abraham, promised him that him and his wife Sarah would have a son. He made some really big promises and some really big covenant, covenants to this man named Abraham. Not only did he say he would give him a son, but he also said that there would be a great nation that would be born from him. He said, look up in the stars. See all those stars? You can't even number them. That's what your family's going to be like. He said, I'm going to give you a land to call your own. He said, I'm going to give you from the river Egypt all the way up to the river Euphrates, that's going to be yours. And that's where your people are going to dwell. And also, one of the biggest things he says is all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of you and because of your family. And every, each and every one of you are here tonight literally because of that blessing. It's pretty amazing to think, isn't it, that thousands and thousands of years later that God has still kept his promise that people all around the world are being blessed. 2,000 years after, of course, the life of Christ, we're still remembering his sacrifice for us. I mean, that blows my mind. It was pretty amazing to me thinking about when uh, I was going through the ordination process, thinking about that same thing, that here we are 2,000 2000 years later, and there's really not much structure that we have besides the word of God. And here we are just continuing on to do the same thing and the same thing. And all the earth is being blessed from this person of Abraham here. Of course, Sarah, kinda, Sarah and Abraham kind of took it in their own power. And of course, 
had relations with Hagar and had a son, but that wasn't the way God intended it. And he, of course, later gave Abraham and Sarah a son named Isaac. Isaac, of course, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the person that God chose to carry on Abraham's line. And from Jacob was born Joseph and, of course, many other brothers. Joseph uh, was sold into slavery. We know the story goes down to Egypt, starts out lowly, even goes into prison, ends up rising up to second in command of all of Egypt. A famine comes into the land of Canaan, and God prepared him for that time right there. The family of Joseph, his brothers, they move down to the land of Egypt and settle in a place called Goshen. And they begin to have children and multiply and have more children and multiply. After the death of Joseph, we know that a new king in Exodus chapter 1, a new king arose in Egypt, and he did not remember Joseph. He didn't remember uh, really the covenant that he had made with his people. And he decided that the Israelites are going to be some pretty good workers. They're multiplying in number. We're going to subdue them before they overthrow us, and they put them to work. And so for about 400 years, these people, they slaved down in Egypt. He didn't promise at all for Abraham for them to stay down there being slaves, but it was for a purpose. God raised up Moses. Moses God used Moses along with the ten plagues to inflict upon Pharaoh and upon all of Egypt to get them to release the Israelites from that bondage, from that slavery. And of course, they set out on their journey to the land that God had promised Abraham, the, one that, the land that we were reading about just a few minutes ago. He set them off to go there. It was supposed to be a very short journey, by the way. It wasn't supposed to be very long. But it turned into 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness. How did that happen? It happened because of disobedience. It happened because of lack of faith, because of doubt. The children of Israel were supposed to enter into the promised land, and when they saw the size of the Canaanites, they said, man, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way that we can do it. And of course, that's why they're wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. We get to the end, towards the end of the book of Numbers here, and that's where we read our passage. After all the other people had died off in the wilderness that originally came out of Egypt, except for a couple people, Joshua and Caleb, they now get their second opportunity to go in and possess this land. And so God refreshes them over something he has really already told them before, but he refreshes them with this passage of things that they were supposed to do. And that's where we arrive here. The thing I like to see about all this is that God had to desire for these people. He had something special for them. And you know what, by the way, it wasn't just a piece of land. That's not what it was all about. It was more important that it was really an eternal purpose and like we already mentioned, it's something that we have all been blessed because of. It was something much larger than a monetary piece of land. I hope you realize tonight that God has something special prepared for you. He's got a desire for you. He's got something big, something really much bigger than you can ever think and that I can ever think. Pretty amazing. I like to think about the uh, two ladies that were baptized just a couple weeks ago. As far as I know, there really wasn't a whole lot of prompting in them choosing to be baptized, following the Lord and Believer's baptism. One uh, was someone who's been coming here for about a year or so, Amber Shields. The other one was little Kiana. She's back there in the back tonight. 
I'm calling you out. You're not in trouble. Yes, little Kiana back there. And the other day I was just sitting back and I was thinking, wow, what has God got planned for those two people? I sat across from Amber Shields last week or the week before after that whole thing happened. And I just had to share with her, I was like, you know God's got something big for you and your family, right? We can't even seem to really wrap our minds about everything that God's doing. But I tell you what, he's got something big and it doesn't, it isn't just about you and your one little family. Really, God can blossom your life submitting to him into something that can affect a lot of other people. I said, you know, your whole family's lives, your mom, dad, your uncles, your, your brothers, your sisters, wow. So much. There is so much potential. God had a desire for these people. And you know what? In his mind, he says, for I have given you the land to possess it. In God's eyes, they hadn't entered in there yet, but in God's eyes, he had already given it to them. That's a pretty amazing thing. All they had to do was take it. The title of the sermon tonight, it's yours if you want it. They had to want it. The first time around, they didn't want it bad enough. This time, they have an opportunity. So, the first thing that we see here is the command. Back to the Israelites, the command. What was God's command? Well, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Drive them out. Pretty simple. Sounds simple. Sounds simple to us. But I would say that if you were there standing on the outskirts of that land, you may think differently. You say, well, God showed him a lot of stuff before. He came, you know, he, he revealed himself in a lot of ways that he was real powerful. Right, yeah, he did. But once again, we're not the ones that are standing there about to go into this land. It was a pretty big deal. He told them up front, by the way, that he was going to give them the victory. The Canaanites, they weren't just going to cower and whimper and just leave just because God said so. It was going to be a fight to the death. Not only that, God also said that I want you to remove all their idols. I want you to tear down all of their philosophy, all of their wickedness, all the things that they have been worshiping. I want you to destroy all of those things. Remove them. I don't think they would have taken the Israelites going in there and say, hey, um, guys, I know you don't know us, but uh, God said that we could have all this. Yeah, we can have all of it. Yeah, not only that, we're going to completely desecrate all of your uh, idols, the things that you worship, your gods. We're just going to, you know, stomp them on the ground. We're going to destroy them. We're going to burn them. Is that good? No, it wasn't good. So what I see from this is this command that God gave them, it wasn't easy. It was something that was going to take a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, and a lot of tears. It was something that was going to cost them. I'm sure there was loss of men in this. I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was people that were maimed and hurt, Israelites that were maimed and hurt. In our passage, we're going to switch over to in just a little while, we're going to see that, I mean, they killed the tribe of Judah and Simeon killed 10,000 people in one battle. The Canaanites, they weren't taking no for an answer. This was a battle to the death, and it was not easy. When a person by faith, when they trust Christ as their Savior, and God gives them his Holy Spirit to dwell inside them, pretty amazing. When that happens, the devil has had possession of you 
for all those years before that. And he just doesn't want to give you over to God. He's going to fight you tooth and nail. Everything that he can do to stop you from furthering your relationship with God, he's going to do it. It's really until we stop and we say, hey devil, you got to go. Hey, you've, got, you've been the landlord for this, for this long in my life, and you've been running the show, but now, hey, God has bought this place, and he's the one in charge now. But you know what? The devil, he don't like that either. So he'll stick around, and if we are going to have victory over sin that is in our life, and we're going to follow God's commandment, it's not going to be easy. I don't like it when churches and Christians, they say, oh, the Christian life is so easy. It's tough. It's a battle. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, every day you've got to wake up and make a choice that you're going to do the commandments that God has said. Second, secondly, in there we see that this wasn't a real popular command. The command that they were given, it wasn't easy, it wasn't popular. They were going into this land and they were going to ups upset some people. They were going to rub some people the wrong way. Doing what God wants us to do is not always going to be popular. Those of you that have tried to been have uh, tried to be witnesses, you know what we're talking about. It's not always going to be popular. People aren't always going to like it. Not only aren't they going to like it, but they're going to actually oppose it. First Corinthians sixteen nine says, Paul says, "For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries." Wow, God's opened some doors, but there's a lot of people who are opposing it. There's a lot of people in Bonita Springs who are opposing what we're doing tonight. They're just not against. They're just not uh, not for it. No, they're they're really against what we're doing. But by God's grace, we're going to keep on keeping on. We don't go on what's popular. We go on what the Word of God says. Homosexuality, sex before marriage, immodesty, all those things aren't very popular things to talk about. But the Bible gives pretty clear definitions about what's acceptable and what's not. And I don't base my life off what is popular. I base my life off what the Word of God says, and I hope you do as well. You know what? It's not so popular when girls, because girls struggle with this more than guys, when girls take a stand that they're going to dress how God wants them to dress. It's not very popular. Many of you, you probably uh, maybe don't experience as much as some of our young people in the public schools. Hey, they really battle it, because there's some really hard pressure that's out there for them to dress a certain way, to look a certain way, to be a certain way. But remember, we stick to what God says. We don't do what's popular. We do what God says. People may say, hey, that's extreme. Well, that's what it's going to take to be wholly given to God. It also, it wasn't comfortable. I don't think the Israelites, they were sitting on the edge of their seat. Yay, we get to go in there and we get to destroy this, no, this enemy. Nah, it wasn't comfortable for them. I don't believe that for a minute. But what God, but what is best for us is not always comfortable. If I only did what was comfortable in life, I wouldn't do anything. That's about where it's at. I'd be sitting on my couch watching Netflix. That's about where it would be at. A lot of, most good things in life, you've heard this, they don't come easy. You got to get uncomfortable. And God, he has a way that he likes to get us uncomfortable. I, I, I've thought about this. Couldn't God have just given them the land? Couldn't God have caused some natural disaster to take place? 
and wipe them all out? Couldn't he have caused maybe a disease to go in there and just completely wipe out all the Canaanites and all the other people groups that were there? Couldn't he have done that? Absolutely he could have. But it wouldn't have required any faith, any faith from the Israelites. And I don't know if you figured this out yet or not, and I hope you have, is that the Christian life, it is all focused around faith. It's God pressing us, God testing us. And really, when we do what God wants us to do, when we follow his commandments in simple faith, that's what gives God the most glory. If God would have just wiped those people out, sure, maybe he would have got some glory from it, but having the Israelites go into that land, a people that have been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years come over and they overtake these armies and these countries who have been established for hundreds and hundreds of years, that says that, hey, God's pretty big. He was doing it to stretch their faith, but it was not comfortable for them to do it. You know what? Door-to-door for me is not comfortable. How many of you raise your hand and say door-to-door ministry? Look around there. Door-to-door ministry is not comfortable, but it's good for me because I know that's what God wants me to do. Some, I'm going to say most Saturday mornings when we go out door-to-door, I'm not overly excited about it. I'm not overly excited about it. And what I keep having a fight in my own life is, is, is thinking to myself, am I only coming because I'm getting paid to come? Because I'm on staff here at the church. I got to fight. I, I want to come because I want to step out on faith that I'm doing what God wants me to do. I got to fight that battle. But it's uncomfortable for me. And I'm sure, like we just noticed, it's very uncomfortable for you. But you know what? Sometimes being uncomfortable is what it's going to take for God to get the most glory. We see the command that God gives, and we're going to see the warning here. Verse 55, it says, But if ye will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Moreover, it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you as I thought to do unto them. He says, it'll be pricks in your eyes. It's something that's going to irritate you. Sure, you'll probably be able to function because of it, but it's going to be a a constant problem. I wear contacts. And I don't always follow the doctor's instructions. They say, take them out every night. No. You're going to have to kill me to stop me from doing that. I don't take them out every night. You're supposed to replace them after 30 days. No, I'm just, I just, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Every once in a while, I'll get a little uh, wake-up call. I'll wake up and I'll have something, it feels like a little grain of sand or something that's stuck in my eye. No matter how much I try to rinse it out, wash it out, it's there. And it's an annoyance. Sure, I can function, but I don't love life. I don't enjoy life. It's something that I can't help but think about all the time. And that's where God was at. He was saying, if you let the people live in here, he said, you know what? They're gods. They're going to be a snare unto you. They're going to be like something irritating in your eye. Oh, sure, you can go on with life, but it's going to bother you and it's going to hurt you. He says, it's going to be as a a thorn in your side. Sin's going to cause you pain. It's going to vex you. It's going to torment you. Lot is a great illustration of this. When he was in in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, it vexed his righteous soul. It, was, it bothered him. Yes, he was living there. He was compromising. Yes, 
but it bothered him. Lastly, God said, hey, I'm going to do unto them. I'm going to do unto you what I was going to do unto them. That's a pretty bad case of affairs. Sin's going to destroy you. The command, the warning. Third thing is the decision. The decision that the people had to make. Now to continue on this story, we're going to have to jump over to Judges chapter number 1. Judges chapter number 1. We'll look at that just for a moment. I'll give you plenty of time to turn there. We skipped a couple books of the Bible. Deuteronomy was when they went over the second, went over the law, really a second time. And, jo- and the book of Joshua is when Joshua led the children of Israel into battle after the death of Moses, and they conquered places like Jericho. And at the end of the Joshua, they had generally conquered the land of Canaan. They hadn't done everything that they were supposed to do, but they had generally conquered the land. Joshua then passes off the scene, but there is still work for God's people to do. There's still land to possess, and there's still victories to be won. We see in verse number 1, it says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? Hey, they started out well. They asked God what God wanted to do. Of course, God says, hey, we're not going to read it for time's sake, verse number two, but he says, hey, have Judah go up. Have Judah go up first. They're going to lead off uh, these battles that we're going to have to possess the rest of the land. And of course, Judah does that. They do kind of take some initiative uh, that God didn't direct, and they had the tribe of Simeon come and help them out, uh, but we'll skip over that. Verse number 19, it says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drave out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. First time I read that, I said, what? They couldn't drive them out. I thought God said that he was going to give it to them. He did. What we can see in Scripture is not that God didn't have enough power to overcome the enemy with chariots. It was most likely, and I'm pretty certain, that it was a lack of faith on them. When they had these other victories that they had accomplished through God's power, they looked down and they saw these iron chariots and they said, uh, they probably got a little nervous, got a little scared, and chose not to go after what God said was theirs. It was a lack of faith. If we jump down to verse number 21, 21 through really 34, I won't read all of it for time's sake, but we will look at it just for a moment. It says, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. 27 says, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean. I like to mark each and every one of those in my Bible. They helped me to realize the severity of their disobedience. Verse number 28 says, And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Next verse says, Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. Verse 30 says, Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Ketron, nor the inhabitants of... I don't know someone pronounced that. I don't know. We'll jump down to verse 31. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echo in many other places, many other people groups. 32 at the end of it says, For they did not drive them out. Verse 33. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, 
nor the inhabitants of Bethanath. And at the end of the verse, again in verse number 3, it says, became tributaries unto them. 34 says, And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. There's a whole lot of failure that was written in those 10 or 15 verses. A whole lot of failure. Was God big enough to do it? Yes, absolutely. But their lack of faith led them to compromise. It led them to compromise. God had led them all the way out of this land of Egypt into this place in their life so they could be victorious, but they compromised. They seemed to be satisfied with the portion of land that they had. So they kind of took it easy. Probably, they said, we're, our, we're here. That's pretty, that's good enough. It's a whole lot better than being out there in the wilderness. We're here. We're established. It says that they were strong. Not only did they compromise in that area, but they actually started to turn a profit on God's blessing. They put those nations to tribute. They said, oh man, we've got the power. You know what? We'll go ahead and we'll make these people slaves to us. They'll work for us. They'll give money to us. And it's like a win-win. We've got the land that God said we could have. And we're also going to get a little something for ourselves as well. Partial compromise is total disobedience. So many Christians, they start out in their Christian life and they have victory. They have victory. They have victory. And then they stop. No, they don't fall off the deep end. They just stop. We're getting ready to start our First Steps discipleship program back up. And that's for people who are looking to take the first steps. But you know what I've, I've realized over the few years is that a lot of people who take First Steps, it's their last step. That's where they stop. They plateau. They become comfortable. Oh, God saved me out of this life of sin that I've had. And now I just, I'm good. I can, I can compromise a little bit. Sure, I come to church this day, go to church that day, witness this day. But that's about it. I'll still keep my sin that I have in my life over on the side that I know God doesn't want me to have, but it's the best of both worlds. Compromise. Now, what's the result of that? By the way, I got a verse, James 4, 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So what happened to Israel because of their sin? Well, this is the result. Flip over a page or so to Judges chapter 2. God sends the angel of the Lord here up from uh, Gilgal uh, to Bochim. And he reminds them of some things. I won't read it again, but I encourage you to go back uh, and read it on your own. But he, he reminds them of some things. And God says through this angel, he says, I delivered you from Egypt. I brought you up from Egypt. He says, I brought you to this place that I promised to your forefathers centuries ago. He said, I made a covenant with you. I made promises with you. He says, and I gave you specific instructions. Remember what I told you. He then goes and says, remember the consequences in the third verse. If you disobeyed, I would not drive them out. They'll cause you pain. There'll be a thorn in your side. Of course, they shall trap you. They will be a snare to you. He reminds them of 
of his commandments and his instructions and his promises. Do you remember where you came from? I'm not talking about Michigan. Illinois. I'm talking about, do you remember where you came from before you knew the Lord? Do you remember who you were before you were saved? Do you remember that life of nothing that God saved you out of and saved me out of? Saying, remember, remember where I brought you out of. Remember all those good things that I had promised for you. But your disobedience led you not only to not obtain them, but now you've lost the blessing of the Lord and the favor of the Lord. And I'm going to have to turn you over to these things. And of course, what the Israelites do in, the, in verses 4 through 6 is they go and they sacrifice and they cry, they weep, which it would be the proper response because God tells them some terrible things are coming your way and they weep and they cry and they're upset. And that's normally what happens when you get in trouble. You're upset. You know the consequences are coming. Hey, playtime's over, payday's here. And so they sacrifice. God likes sacrifice, but he likes obedience a lot better. He said to, he said to, uh, to Saul, he said, to obey is better than sacrifice. Psalm 51, David, after his sin with Bathsheba, he says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. David had this idea, God doesn't want me just to go to the temple and sacrifice something. No, he wants my life to change. He wants me to be different. And I know a whole lot of people, including myself, we go and we make decisions and we cry, we weep, we say we're going to do this and we don't ever do it. God's not satisfied with Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and door-to-door Christians. That's just the sacrifice. He wants your life to change, your life to be different. He wants you to obey his commandments. The story continues, verse 10, and this is really where, this is really where the consequences come into action. It's starting verse number 10 through 13. Once again, I'll just read verse number 10. It says, Also that generation they were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done in Israel. I think the biggest, the biggest consequence was that this was going to affect their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and so on and so forth. I know I don't mind myself getting in trouble. I don't like it. I don't mind it. I don't mind putting myself, making some bad decisions, getting myself in a jam, but it really hurts me when it affects my kids and it affects other people. I hope you realize that your sin affects other people and my sin, it affects other people. The consequences for this, really, I don't think they were going to reap a whole lot of it, but it was going to be further on down the road. The next time we, we choose that we're going to harbor sin in our life, may we realize that it's going to affect people possibly for generations to come. God forbid. They, they began to worship false gods. They lost the next generation. They were overcome by the enemy. Hey, the worst part about it is that sin literally ties God's hands. It ties his hands. In this case, it did. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. We like to always focus on the first verse. I'm going to close just a moment. We like to focus on the first verse. It gets all the attention, and we love to quote this one. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, 
Neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. Oh, God can save us from our problems. Yes. But the most neglected verse is the next one that follows it. It says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. The worst part about all this was that God was no longer on their side. God was no longer aiding them. And not only was God not aiding them, he actually turned against them. Verse number 15 says, They went out and the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. I don't want that to be said about me. I don't want that to be said about you. I don't want that to be said about Gospel Baptist Church. How does this whole thing, how does this whole story here, how does it apply to us? What can we learn from the Israelites? It's a, this story right here is a story of many defeated Christians. Any attempt to coexist with sin is rebellion. When we allow some of the Canaanites to stay in our lives, some of the sins, they end up enslaving us. If we try to make peace with sin, it will enslave us. If you're going to have victory over the enemy, it's going to have to be radical. I'm talking like radical, like Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. That's about as radical as it gets. At the beginning, actually I didn't mention it, but I meant to mention it. At the beginning of the message, I meant to mention that his desire was not only to own the land, but that they would have influence. And that Israel would be a light that would shine to all the world and that when the world looked at Israel they would see God's glory and they would be blessed because of it and they would come to know the one true living God because of it and of course their freedom and for their families that was the things that God desired for them you know what if we choose to harbor sin in our lives even the smallest amount of sin hey we lose freedom we lose God's blessing. We lose our influence that's going to affect other people for generations to come. And we can even lose our children because of it. Do you want every good thing that God has planned for you that you can't even think about, you can't imagine? Do you want that? I'm not talking about do you wish it, because we wish for a lot of things. I'm talking about do you want it? Well, it's yours to have if you want it. How do you do that? Well, simply take this book right here. Follow what it says. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I guarantee you every good thing that God has for you will come to pass just like he wants. Let's pray. We'll be finished. Lord, we thank you for these few moments that we're able to look into your word here tonight, and we thank you for this story of the Israelites that is recorded uh, in your word for us, and we don't want to end like they ended. We want to end in victory. We don't want to have compromise. We want to show forth our faith unto you and be victorious. We ask that long after this message is over that you would continue to work in hearts and really search our hearts and allow us to search our hearts to see if there's any sin or any compromise that we have in our life that would hinder our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stay... If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.